Way down yonder, the McGillicullys had quite a bit of farmland, and they were partial to horses. Thomas was the head of the household, and he shared most of that responsibility with Millie. It's okay. Lots of folks laugh at the thought of someone going through their whole life with the name Millie McGillicuddy. Rounding at that group was their son, Norbert. Now, that's the name you're going to want to remember, because we'll be spending most of the time talking about him. The McGillicuddies weren't just partial to horses. In fact, they had just over a hundred head of the equine type, and they were one of the best outfits for these animals too, in the whole state of Kansas. If you could only see Thomas McGillicuddy break a Mustang, whew, about as pretty as any ballet you could find in all of Russia. Well, I should have said how he used to break those wild ones. See, they don't do that anymore. At least, not that I know. This being because of Norbert, naturally. Now, I'm thinking it best for me to clear the air real fast. See, I'm not saying any of this because Norbert's fat. I know myself, and that I carry on my father's disdain for the hefty, but his being about the closest thing the McGillicullys have to a pig on that farm don't have a darn thing to do with the next few minutes of this here story. So, having said my piece, let's move it along. Norbert was a buck-toothed, monkey-brained, droopy-eyed, filthy, smelly doofish with a bow-legged stance you could drive just about a double-wide through. And yes, he was fat. Okay, I can see I'm losing you. Let me clear a little more air. A few years back, the McGillicuddies and my kin had a standing deal with me supplying all the feed to their handsome lot of horses. Because you guys ain't pea-brains like Norbert, y'all know with all them horses, that account was a sizable one. I don't normally like talking business with strangers, but I'll go ahead and furlough that particular rule of mine and tell you guys that the McGillicuddy's account put all three of my own boys through college. And I even threw my granddaughter the best fifth birthday party these parts ever seen, strictly from the profits of selling feed to the McGillicuddy steeds. Then the fat ass went and found someone sweeter than all the ho-hos, ding-dongs, and twinkies he managed to sneak in his already oversized lunch bag. Normally, boys who grow up on horse farms start learning how to break steed before they learn to shave, but Norbert ran into issue. I'm not going to waste anyone's time with examples because all you need is one look at the kiddo to see that he had no place on a horse. Here he was at 16, carrying the proud McGillicuddy name and barely having enough skill to mount a pony. For God's sakes, the youngin was more cow than cowboy. But was he satisfied with disrespecting the name like so? Nope. He wanted to take it a bit further. And this is where the real story begins. Norbert had chemistry for his third period, and though he was just squeaking above the passing line, he claimed it was his favorite class. He reckoned the experiments and hands-on learning in the form of working with beakers, Droppers and such were the cause of that. I'm sure having the famous Dr. Sabina lead his class had a great deal to do with it too. Dr. Sabina was a perennial teacher of the year, as voted by her students in large part because of her style, which included a heavy emphasis on lab work and experiments with bubbles, color shifts, and other neat tricks that made learning as close to fun as it could get. Dr. Sabina could have already counted on Norbert's vote for the next two years he was a student at Dudley High, but after she assigned him as a lab partner for Eliza Kearns, she could have counted on him to put forth the process to the Holy Father himself for her sainthood. 
Eliza wasn't a looker. Let me start there. Of course, this meant she was a nice fit for Norbert, on account of him being fat and all. Her beady little blue eyes camped out under bangs of stringy strawberry blonde hair, and I reckon the reason her teeth were so gapped like that were because she was always chewing on her nails, a pencil, or even her own ponytail. Match made in heaven, apparently. Anywho, the big boy was smitten, and the good hand of God saw fit to send his crush his way. The only caveat being that he would have no time to prepare for her and have this all-important first impression happen spontaneously. If you've been paying any attention at all, you can guess how that went. Once again, I won't waste your time and go right on ahead and give you the quick bits. Eliza obeyed the doctor's reassignment and grabbed her books and such, headed over to Norbert's table and plopped the contents down right next to him. As soon as she took one step in his direction, he started sweating like, well, a big fat porker. And he became so self-conscious of that fact that he slid over to the other side of the table. When she asked him if he was okay, he froze up. Then when her face started to twist in confusion, the pressure was so much that he went and ran away, knocking over a set of beakers and some solutions in the process, and funny enough, making an acid that tore through the ground and ate into the pipes underneath, springing a nasty leak all over his classmates. <laughs> what an ass. Norbert was so embarrassed by the incident that he went straight home and faked a flu until the weekend. Spending three full days tested the durability of the hardest working bed frame in the county. As it turned out, he had the most vivid dream of his short pitiful life that Friday night. In it, he and Eliza were married. They owned a big ranch, just like this one, and it was packed with dogs, chickens, horses, and of course, a little of their own little ones. The next part of his dream took place out in a field that he could only assume was also his land. He was on horseback, which should have already tipped him off that this was a dream, unless his horse was built like John Cena, which actually would still be something that one would see in a dream. And the scene was right out of a picture book. Golden hills of barley, an orange cast from the warm sun, and a sky as blue as the eyes of his lover. Then when he turned around, he saw the young lady riding up on her own mare, a noble beast with an ice white coat, every follicle glimmering under the sun. Eliza was a sight to behold. Again, this should have tipped anyone off that none of this was real. She had her hair in long curls and was dressed in gorgeous eggshell riding pants and a frilly pink blouse covered in a flower pattern. Her smile was indescribable, and she rode so majestically toward her husband with a look in her eyes this young fool had never seen thrown in his direction. Then the roosters crowed. He woke with a spark and was determined that he should take action and make that fantasy a reality. That big old stack of triglycerides moved about as fast as anyone had ever saw. He sprung out of bed, hopped into his size 48 blue jeans, and shuffled out to the barns. There weren't no dream anymore, so he didn't dare mount one. But he threw a rope around the prettiest pony he could find, and he led that sucker out the barn and onto the main road. It was Eliza's mother who first saw Norbert leading the horse down the street in front of their home. Mrs. Kearns had never seen the McGillicuddy's boy, so she became a bit concerned, especially because her husband was out grabbing some greens for supper that night. Being a proactive woman, she decided to open the door and meet him outside before he got much closer. Howdy there, young man. That's a mighty fine horse you're leading. Norbert mumbled back. Thank you, ma'am. That's good to hear because, in fact... Here he trailed off and switched gears. Ma'am... Is Miss Kearns available at the moment? 
By this point, Mrs. Kearns had drawn the conclusion that Norbert was harmless, although a mighty bit creepy. She saw nothing wrong with summoning her Eliza, so she did. Norbert was determined this time around, so when she poked that little blonde head out the front door, he stood his ground. Literally, he didn't take one step closer and started shouting at her from a distance of about 15 or so yards. Good afternoon, Eliza. I hope you're well. He cleared his throat and swallowed a gulp of cool Kansas air before continuing. I feel right terrible about what happened in chemistry class last week. The spill and then the whole bit about leaving you without a partner. Eliza chimed in. Oh, Norbert, that's all fine. Dr. Sabina assigned me to Stacy Belfort and we got along just as well. Norbert was not necessarily ready to converse in a give-and-take fashion, so he just went on ahead with his spiel. On account of how I did you wrong and all, I brought you a horse. You may know this, but my family raises horses, and it's been said that they're the most prestigious in the county. We have fair ribbons and all. I don't mean to brag much, but here's the prettiest one I could find on a farm brimming with lookers. And now she's yours. Never having been gifted a horse before, Eliza was confused. She understood the meaning of the gesture and appreciated it enough, but, well, first of all, where was she going to keep it? She wasn't a farmer, and her parents barely had any land whatsoever. As all these thoughts trekked across her mind, Norbert trekked his wide load across her lawn and handed over the reins. Out of politeness, she took him, thanked him, and watched him jiggle off as her mother let out a long breath of frustration. Unfortunately, she would need a lot more of those, because once normal Sue returned and Norbert was back in chemistry class, he only fell deeper in love with the young Eliza. Every gosh darn third period, Eliza could count on Norbert being seated at the table, ready to ask about the pony she had since named Ocarina. Eliza did her best to say something new each day, but the truth was that she never wanted a horse. And all Ocarina did was drag her dirty hooves all over her room, smashing her nice things, and dropping steamers onto her bedsheets. On top of this, her parents gave her hell for taking the thing in the first place, and made her pay for the feed out of her own allowance. And I felt right bad about charging her knowing this, but business is business after all. The point was that Ocarina was a handful, and sure she loved her and all, but a cat would have been a whole lot easier to manage. Now the John Goodman-looking protagonist of our story wasn't much happier himself. He had finally got it through his thick, thick skull that his plan to give Eliza a horse did not immediately make her his girlfriend like he had expected. She did not understand that these ponies are some of the best in the state, even though he made sure to tell her that specific fact. But maybe she was so overwhelmed by the sheer boldness and magnitude of the gesture that she hadn't heard that part. Anyway, it stood, Eliza was not fawning over his kindness like he had hoped. In his eyes, there was only one thing left to do. This time around, it was Mr. Kearns who saw the colt. He was out back trying to get his weed whacker started when he heard the rustling. A friendly fellow by nature, the head of the household greeted the young beast warmly. Mr. Kearns wasn't as upset as his wife was about Ocarina's intrusion, but he clearly was not keen on the idea of hosting a horse in his cozy little abode. He even laughed when he saw this one, because he thought how funny it'd be to have two horses after having such trouble taking care of one. He went ahead and called old Mr. McGillicuddy, but it was Norbert who picked up. After explaining that a colt had made its way to their property, 
Mr. Kearns offered to hold on to the animal for a night if need be. Truth be told, because of Norbert's gift of ocarina to Eliza, they had the proper feed and setting to host it for a spell. Being his normal friendly self, Mr. Kearns even added that Ocarina might appreciate the company. Although, hopefully not too much. Because any more ponies in the McGillicuddies might find themselves a rival breeder in the Kearns. As he laughed his own joke off, Norbert said he was obliged and that he'd be over tomorrow. Then he hung up and went straight out to the barn. The next series of events gets a little more, uh, fantastic. I know you guys can't see me or nothing, but in my home... There's a holy Bible on just about every side table, the one where I'm sitting by at present being no exception. I'm going to go ahead now and place my right hand on it and tell you that everything I've said up until now is true, and listen closely, everything that follows as well. Norbert took Mr. Kern's comments in a way we can be sure the man did not intend. He went right out to the barn after the phone call and picked up another handsome breed, gave him a brush and a detail, and went to sleep. The following morning, he dressed him up real nice, threw a saddle on him, and led him out to the Kearns property. Just like he had before, he rang the bell, said hello to Eliza, and handed her the reins. He did this every day for three months. By the time fall was creeping its nasty head into summer's business, there were just under a hundred horses occupying the Kearns' home. Four or five slept in the laundry room, a few dozen preferred the backyard. Several others were particular to Mr. Kern's den, and so on and so forth. They had animals feeding out of the kitchen sinks, sleeping on Mrs. Kern's grandmother's fainting couch, and relieving themselves on damn near everything else. Now, stop a moment and just picture this. The McGillicuddy's had hundreds of acres and a good deal of barns to house these people, and now the Kerns were housing the same ones in their own house. You can right imagine the smell alone. Needless to say, Eliza was beside herself. She even had to take on two part-time jobs just to feed them and care for them properly. Again, I felt bad and all, but business is business. I did give her the bulk discount for what that's worth. Naturally, because of these newfound responsibilities, she had no time to go on dates with Norbert even if she wanted. At a certain point, she even had to flat drop out of school, so we never saw her anymore there either. The McGillicuddies were even more irate. They hadn't noticed what their dumbass son was doing until about half the stock was moved, which is an implication of their own care if you ask this narrator. With little to no horses to sell, the bills piled up, and soon enough they had to hawk the farm, which of course meant Norbert had to move away from his precious Eliza. Now, I'm sure when you heard my deep voice and old-timey West twang, you figured this would be one of them old parables with a big moral at the end. Something about how you gotta love yourself above all, or blood is thicker than water, or maybe even how you can't buy love. Well, I truly am sorry if that's what you were expecting, but this ain't one of those types of stories. This is just a tale about a fat idiot who sunk his own family's livelihood while also losing the love of his life. Not to mention screwing an honest small business owner in the process, because the Kearns eventually hit their breaking point and sold all the horses to an out-of-state buyer, leaving almost no one in this town for me to sell to. So screw Norbert McGillicuddy, and to hell with the Kearns clan too. I'm coming up on 70 years of age now, and you know what I do all day? I greet people at the Walmart. 
over 30 years selling feed to horses all over the county, and I'm waving to my former clients like an idiot with the grin stapled to my face and that ugly-ass vest over my hunched shoulders. They make me park a damn country mile from the entrance, take my cigarettes out back where those feral cats piss and give birth, and when I want a day to myself, I have to give my 20-year-old manager no less than a fortnight's notice. All this bull spit for minimum wage and a 10% employee discount that I can't even use on liquor. I guess if you want a moral, the best I can do is save your damn money. Or better yet, don't have kids. If I had a time machine, the one thing I'd do is go back to 1996 and write kick old Mr. McGillicuddy right in his ball sack for even thinking of conceiving that tubbo with his already oversized wife. And it ain't like my kids are much better. One off in California writing screenplays for independent films that don't make any money. The other two working as teachers because it's a noble profession. You know what's really noble? Actually making real cash so your dad don't gotta smoke in front of a damn feral cat maternity ward. This is my new life now. If there's any god up there, it won't last very long. Then again, if there was a god... He would have sent a lightning bolt down on that human sack of lard before he even got around to ruining Eliza's, Thomas's, and my own life. Guess it really is just us down here. Bunch of good people just waiting to be screwed over by the idiocy or even the misguided generosity of the bad ones. Now, wait a second. I think I do have a moral for you guys after all. I don't care if you're about to greet your first grandchild or it's your first day on your first job. For the love of all that is holy, open up a Roth IRA. Now. And don't go buying stupid expensive junk like horses. That was New Horse, written, produced, and performed by me, Josh Ramirez. Remember, you can read these on my Wattpad. You can see the covers on my Instagram, at Company Time. And if you're enjoying the content, please share, let people know, give a review, anything to build our audience. we got new stories every Monday in the season and a big five-part finale coming in November, so we want a lot of people around for that. Thank you so much for listening.